And so, yeah, I launched it and I got about 200 paid subscribers in the first couple of days. And then I got up to about 400 something in the first month and just kept growing. You are listening to Conversations with Nathan Latka. Now, if you're hearing this, it means you're not currently on our subscriber feed. To subscribe, go to getlatka.com. When you subscribe, you won't hear ads like this one. You'll get the full interviews. Right now, you're only hearing partial interviews. And you'll get interviews three weeks earlier from founders, thinkers, and people I find interesting. Like Eric Wan, 18 months before he took Zoom public. We got to grow faster. Minimum is 100% over the past several years. Or bootstrap founders like Vivek of Question Pro. When I started the company, it was not cool to raise. Or Looker CEO Frank Bean before Google acquired his company for $2.6 billion. We want to see a real pervasive data culture, and then the rest flows behind that. If you'd like to subscribe, go to gitlatka.com. There, you'll find a private RSS feed that you can add to your favorite podcast listening tool, along with other subscriber-only content. Now look, I never want money to be the reason you can't listen to episodes. On the checkout page, you'll see an option to request free access. I grant 100% of those requests, no questions asked. Hey guys, my guest today is Lenny Rachitsky. If you haven't heard of him, you are not on Substack. He writes one of the most popular newsletters on product and growth coming from Airbnb and his own startup before that. He walks the walk and talks the talk. Lenny, you ready to take us to the top? Thanks, man. Uh, I am. You bet. You're not good with compliments. I see you're, you're like, you rock back and forth when I talk about your success. Uh, you're good at reading body language. I'm, not, uh, <laughs> I'm a humble person. Well, I'll try and stay away from too many compliments, but I do want people to learn from you and listen to the whole episode. So I don't want to bury the lead. You've launched a paid newsletter on Substack. How many total free readers do you have today and how many have converted to paid? I'm at about 45,000 free and about 30... 3,300 paid at this point. Mm-hmm. And that equates, I believe, if my math is correct, my research is right, somewhere around $360,000 in terms of annual run rate. Uh, I don't share my uh, revenue, but it's something like that. Lenny stopped May 2020, put a tweet out, 13,000 free, 486 paid, and 56K in gross AR. Why'd you stop sharing the revenue side? Uh, honestly, I feel like there's a point at which I stopped becoming kind of like the guy you're rooting for and the underdog. <laughs> and I just like, man, why is this guy making so much? So I honestly, I try to avoid the, the dollar figure at this point. Do you think that's a big advantage, the underdog? I think you want people rooting for you. Uh, it's not so much advantage. It just kind of feels nice. Oh, wow, leave this guy go. Can you and be then, a big newsletter yeah. and still manufacture folks rooting for you? Absolutely. Uh, I don't know. Ben Thompson. I'm sure people root for that guy. Uh, like the the lady that's at the top of Substack right now, Heather Cox Richardson. Uh, I'm rooting for her. She's making part-time. over a million bucks. Part-time. It's crazy. Yeah, part-time. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. Um, let me get one let me get one question to you on Substack before we go back and get more of your history. Um, if you were because you're I mean, your business is on top of Substack, if you were leading, if you were the lead PM at Substack, what does the Substack product look like a year from now? I, I've been talking with the Substack guys a little bit about this, honestly, and it's it's a big challenge. Uh, at some point, the fees end up being a lot, and I don't know what the answer is, to be honest. I think they basically have two options. One is drive in and make it such that it's well worth paying this fee because they're making me more money directly. The other is make it a lot easier for me to do this job 
So provide tons of tooling and support and other things where I just can't get that anywhere else. And it makes up for the costs. And I honestly don't know what I would do. It's a, it's a tough place to mm. be, but, uh, but I'm bullish. I'm a big, I'm a big fan. Uh, do, do you feel like Substack has a real sort of defensible moat? I mean, can someone else like convert Kit and Nathan Berry launch something and really compete with Substack or do they have too much of a moat network effects? I don't know if anyone really has a moat. Uh, what's interesting is their pitch is you can come and you can leave anytime you want, which works really well for people like me that join because there's no reason not to try it. But then the downside is people can leave anytime they want. And so, so nobody really has a moat in theory, uh, but they've definitely captured people's imagination. And it's kind of a cool thing to be on Substack. I don't know how long that lasts. And for now, I'm really happy there. So, so guys. You're going to enjoy the next 10 minutes. You sort of got a sense of where Lenny is today, but it all started really back in 2010, 2011 with one of his first companies called Local Mind. Lenny, what was the idea behind Local Mind? Local Mind was built back in the day when uh, check-ins were really cool, uh, Foursquare <laughs> and Gual and Facebook. So what we did is we sat on top of their data and allowed you to talk to people that are checked in anywhere in the world to find out what's happening, where they're at. So if you're thinking about going out to a bar, hey, is this bar fun right now? If you think about going to a concert, What's happening there right now? Or what's the special of the day? So it's called local mind. And the idea is to give you this local mind anywhere you're thinking about going to. And ran it for about a year and a half, uh, raised some money, moved to San Francisco, and then sold the company to Airbnb, which is how I joined Airbnb. How much did you raise for the company? Only about 600K total. Could you have bootstrapped it? Yes. But looking back, it's not the kind of company that would have worked, really. Uh, there's no real business model, and check-ins kind of died away. And so it wouldn't have worked no matter what path we took, I think. Yeah. Now, you're really going to rock with this question if you rocked on my first compliment I gave you. But was that acquisition with Airbnb sort of more of an aqua hire, or was it really a freeing financial moment for you where you could really focus on Airbnb, have no financial worries the rest of your life? Uh, so at the time, our investors, our lead investor thought it was a terrible, terrible deal because it was all stock and the value uh, equated to not that much in their eyes. Uh, and our pitch to them was, this is going to be worth a lot more than it is now, and especially a lot more than the 409A valuation is telling you it's worth. And looking back, we were very right and it worked out well. Uh, and I'm very happy we made that decision because, like I said, uh, I don't think the startup would have worked out. <laughs> Did the investors hold on to the Airbnb? It sounds like you held on to the Airbnb. Yeah. Did they? Yeah. They're, in a sense, they were. They had to. There's not much of a secondary market uh, well, that was allowed. Yeah. Fast forward to market close today, and Airbnb is at an $85 billion market cap. So you saw something they didn't. How long do you stay at Airbnb? Seven years. Seven years. Okay. And so what I want to get to now is it's very rare. If you were there for seven years, how old were you when you left? How old was I? Wow. Uh, 30... 36-ish. Okay. So you're like 37, 38 today? 39, 39, 39. so 37 then, yeah. So, so what happened? Because you're sitting on a, I assume you see internal metrics, you know you're sitting on a rocket ship. Uh, you, you're giving up a big salary. What was the catalyst that got you to say, you know what? The opportunity cost is too high to stay. I need to leave and create space to invent something new. Honestly, it was a very visceral kind of a non-rational feeling. Uh, I went on a sabbatical. I was there seven years, took some time off, came back, and I just felt like I, like the Kool-Aid had worn off and I was just ready for something new. I just came back and it just didn't have the same energy and drive that I had before that. 
And then I spent another month rationally kind of getting there by talking to other teams and leaders to see if there was a different role or another opportunity. But it just kind of felt like naturally this is the time to go. And I didn't actually have a plan when I left. I was just, I'm just going to see what happens. I'm going to give myself six months to explore. And it ended up taking me a year to figure out this is the path I want to go down. Lenny, how do we encourage more people to do that? There's a lot of people that don't know how to get their mind in a place to just say, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I have six months of runway in my life. You cover my expenses. I'm just going to go be in an empty space for a while. How do we encourage that, that? That The key is having that runway. A lot of people aren't fortunate to have that. So I had savings where I could, the way I did it is I just budgeted. Okay, six months. Here's how much it's going to cost me to live with no income. I'm just going to set that aside and I'm going to, that's going to be my cost for this uh, time that I'm going to give myself. And that, that alone made me feel a lot more comfortable, mm-hmm. uh, giving up the salary and investing. That's a whole different story, but, but at some point that has to end, like it never ends. There's always going to be more salary investing if yeah. you're at a tech company. So, so a lot of it was just, I was just like ready to take a leap. I had savings to give myself a chance and I never thought I'd be there seven years. So it was kind of this like, okay, what the hell am I still doing here? Seven years later, uh, I probably want to start another company or do something else. So let's just do it. And Lenny, there's two ways to create a runway. One is to live below your means, decrease your expenses. The other is to save more and just build a bigger cash cushion. Which one did you choose? Was there one or the other? It was mostly saving, saving okay. enough and just kind of saying, okay, this dollar amount, if I spend at the current rate, if I do nothing different, I'm comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. And can we get a sense, like getting your life a little bit when you were, I guess, 37-ish leaving Airbnb? You were living in San Francisco, correct? Yeah. So, I mean, are you comfortable sharing a range of what your like life expense expenses were like per month back in those days? So, so the way I did it is I just set aside hundred K here's hundred K okay. that I can burn through both life expenses and also business expenses. And that was my investment in myself. Okay. So sabbatical, you come back lower energy, save savings of six months, you leave, then what? What prompted you to start writing this first piece of content back in, I guess it was May, 2019? Yeah. So I was, my initial plan was start a company. That was plan A. Plan B was like maybe join a company. Plan C was join a big company. And so as I was exploring startups, I also started thinking about what did I learn from my time at Airbnb so that I can take that into this new company that I'm thinking about starting. And so I started writing them down and it ended up being these kind of seven things that I thought were interesting. And as uh, the cliche goes, I ended up turning it into a medium post just to kind of put it out there to make it valuable for people. And that ended up being incredibly successful, much more so than I thought it was like featured on medium and got made me $1,700 actually through medium, which I didn't even know was a thing. Yeah. Well, I didn't know that's a thing either. It's a thing. You put it behind a paywall and they pay you some small amount uh, based on views and based on how many people convert to a paid medium account. Okay. Uh, But I moved off to Substack later, which we can also talk about if you want. Let, let's dive so, into, yeah, let's definitely talk about that for sure. Okay. So, so anyway, that did well. I kept going, kept writing, but I kept wanting to come back to the startup stuff. And I had this tension internally of, should I spend time writing? Cause this seems to be going well, or should I work on the startup explorations? And I had like 50 ideas of startup ideas I was exploring and tinkering with. And my plan was to work through them one by one. Mm-hmm. And there was a, basically a conversation I had with a friend where he just, help me realize, okay, this writing seems to be going really well. You seem to be enjoying it. People seem to value it. Maybe don't take that for granted and maybe double down on that and pause the startup stuff. And I did that and seemed to work out. 
that first medium post, so I just pulled it up. Yeah. I mean, this, it did extremely well. Um, you're talking like, uh, does it say here, uh, how many claps? Yeah. yeah 28,000, 28,000 claps. Yeah. From what I can see. Yes. Yeah, so this is ex extremely, extremely well. And so you, you made some capital off of this and then sort of pick up from there. What happened after this? So I just kept writing. I wrote five more pieces around how to get into product management. Uh, actually, how what, uh, what Buddhism taught me about product management, because in that three months I took off, I actually went on a meditation retreat. And that actually informed a little bit of how I was thinking about life at that point. Uh, and so I kept writing, kept doing well, uh, not as well as that first one. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, and then eventually someone convinced me to switch to Substack because the take was, the pitch was just like, why are you giving Medium all of your content? They're gaining all of the upside, all of the SEO, all the subscribers. You don't get any email addresses of your audience. So you have no access if you leave. And so that was the benefit of Substack and it, it was totally true. Your last post on Medium was uh, February of 2020. Now here's my yeah. question. Was this someone from Substack and part of Substack acquisition strategy was go pick people off a of medium? It, it was someone connected to Substack, but it was not a strategy. It was just actually genuinely good advice. <laughs> I love that. Okay. So you move over. And so what does it actually mean? Do you, 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 you move to Substack. What does that mean? I just mean? copy and pasted my post. So, so first I just created a Substack account and I called it Lenny's newsletter because I had no real plan for this thing. I was like, what's the simplest thing I just start with? And now I'm stuck with that. Uh, and so I just copy and pasted them. And that's my first few posts is those copy and pastes. This is great. And then to, to pull forward the story, that first post on Substack, do you remember what month that was, Lenny? It was uh, June, I believe, June of 2019. Now, by, by May of 2020, you, know, you tweeted out, you crossed 13,000 free subscribers and 486 had converted to paid. And that was six weeks after you launched the paid subscription. So my question to you is, writing free for 10 months requires incredible discipline. And it also was past your six month window for you making money because you were through your 100K, I think at that point. So yep. two questions, why don't you start scrambling faster on how to make money at the six month mark instead of the 10 month mark? And what gave you the discipline to go the extra four months before introducing a paywall? So the first question, uh, basically, I just realized that I hadn't figured things out yet. And I just talked to my wife and we both agreed, let's just do another six months, which I still had budget for. And uh, and she was she was starting to feel like, hey, maybe she should get a job. <laughs> what, are you, what are you doing with this writing? What are you doing writing? What is this? What are you doing with your time? Because <laughs> it was not a path I ever imagined myself going down. Uh, and so, so we just agreed, let's just see what happens because the writing wasn't really clicking yet. And I hadn't found a startup idea I was excited about. So it was just like a little kind of agreement. Let's just keep going. So, so the date's a little bit, you're, you're, uh, there's actually a 2019 and 2020 jump. So I actually did 10 months of free. And then into the next year, right as COVID hit is when I actually decided to start charging. Because at that point, it'd been over a year. I had no income for a year, had no job, wasn't looking for a job. And then all the markets tank, Airbnb stock tanks. I don't really know how much I have in savings anymore. And so, so I decided to try the, the paid route. Mm -hmm. And, and at a, and at a hundred, at a hundred thousand that you sort of saved a budget over six months, that puts your sort of monthly San Francisco expenses at like 10 to 15 grand a month, something like that. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. And so what were you expecting when you launched the paywall? You launch it, you then go to bed or your developer. So maybe you launch it like 2am and then you like wake up at 11. What happened? Uh, no, I launched at a reasonable hour. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, I so I launched it. I, I got a bunch of help on the way of, to frame the launch and how to price it and things like that from just like various smart friends. 
And I kind of crafted a whole pitch of why this makes sense and why this is valuable. And yeah, it was like nine months of free every week up to that point. Partly what gave me confidence to do it is I had kept it up for nine to 10 months every week, which was not obvious to me that I could keep this up for that long. And at that point, I was like, oh, wow, I could keep going for years, probably doing the same thing. So let's just give it a shot. Uh, and so, yeah, I launched it and I got about 200 paid subscribers in the first couple of days. And then I got up to about 400 something in the first month and, and just kept growing. As you experimented, your, your first shot at like the call to action to convert people from free to paid, what was your first stab at that? So, so one thing I did is I gave them a discount if they subscribed in the first 48 hours. So mm -hmm. I priced it at 15 bucks a month or 150 a year. And uh, if you subscribed in the first 48 hours after I launched, it was 10 bucks a month or a hundred year. And the call to action is just subscribe now. Uh, I gave them a week. I think it was two weeks actually before when I announced to when I was going paid. So I gave people two weeks of more free. Mm -hmm. And the call to action was really simple. Subscribe now, you know, support this kind of work. If you found value in this thing, the way I pitched it essentially was if you can make one better decision a year through this, that's worth 150 bucks a year, especially if you can expense it to your company, which some folks do. When you look at what recently happened with Quibi, you start to wonder and you read Carlotta Perez's book on technological advancement and production capital versus just regular capital. You start to go, wow, maybe capital is not the scarce resource today, but attention is. And if you believe that, then maybe you also believe that social capital is a precursor to financial capital today. In other words, you can't buy attention. You have to earn it. And only after you do that can you scale. You've essentially earned a ton of attention here. And at some point, you decide to launch a Slack group to go even deeper. Walk me through that decision. So this all connects to kind of a core, uh, I don't know, uh, thesis I have that it all, all, it all comes down to providing value. If you can provide value to people consistently, they're going to follow you, they're going to subscribe, they're going to pay you if it's valuable enough. And so the Slack is essentially how do I provide more value to my readers? When I first launched it, I was like, man, 15 bucks a month, that's a lot of money. It's more than Netflix. And so it was an upsell. It wasn't included in the paid subscription. It was. And it was basically, I didn't feel like I was giving enough for $15 a month or 150 a year. So I was thinking, what else can I add as a part of that cost? And so initially it was just, I just added it to the pitch. Someday there will be a private community that you'll have access to. And I had no idea what it would be. I just knew I would try that at some point. So I threw it in the pitch. And then, I don't know, three, three months later, I was, all right, I guess I should make this thing real. And so I started it and invited a few initial set of people and then slowly grew it out. And at this point, it's just basically if you're a paid subscriber or if I think you're just going to add a lot to the community, you're a part of it. And what's interesting is it creates a really nice filter for the people there. If like you're the type of person that's paying for content, you're generally going to be helpful and kind and interesting. And so that creates a really cool community. And what month was that? When did you launch that? That was maybe September of last year. September 2020. Yeah, 2020, yeah. Very recently, yeah. Now, the, the reason I bring that up is I just interviewed right two before you, actually, uh, Rosie from Indie Hackers. And I said, uh -huh. who are two Slack communities you really respect? And she said, Charlie Ward's Weekend Club and Lenny does a great job. And so I said, well, why do you like Lenny? And, sh and she says, well, the, the way it's structured and the quality of content is just really, really high. And at a surface level, that sounds like fluffy, uh, like a sort of fluffy, duffy compliment. So I'm hoping you can make that real. What are you doing where when you go in other Slack groups, you go, oh, 
like they're not doing this thing. We are doing this thing. And that's why there's such a difference. That's very kind of Rosie. She's been very helpful with the community also. Uh, I'd say it's nothing revolutionary. The things I basically, I try to be very detail oriented about the, the con the conversation. So I make sure people add a profile photo. I create as few channels as possible that give people, but still focused so people can know where to go and where to look and where to post to create kind of a critical mass around a topic. So I have a channel around product and a channel around growth and a channel around just startups. And what about uh, actually one that has been super successful that I recommend everybody do is a channel called promote your stuff because <laughs> that just contains all of the self-promotion that people always want to do. And so it ends up being actually a pretty cool channel to see all the cool stuff people are working on, but it contains it. And so all the rest of the channels are high signal to noise. Mm -hmm. And then, and then there's just like a little greet bot that tells people how to introduce themselves that I think every Slack has. And then I welcome everyone individually as much as I can. And then another thing that I've done recently is we have, there's so much good content in the community that uh, I, I work now with, with someone named Kanye, Kanye, who, uh, pulls together the best threads each week of the community and then turns it into a new email that we send out every week of the top threads of the week. I love this. And I think one of the interesting things as I was studying for this, my team was a lot of people can't write because they have nothing to react to. But if you have a way to create um, something hitting you, it then enables you to react better. And you have such a superpower in your Twitter account to throw out some questions or ask for examples or tag people. And I, I'm guessing that's you sort of testing new concepts and based off it, you can then react. Is that accurate? And if so, how can other people learn from that? How can they sort of replicate this with no Twitter following? So it's interesting because if you actually look at my newsletter, it's actually the root of it is that concept, which is it's an advice column. That's the way I position. It's an advice column for product and growth, working with humans and anything else that stresses you out at the office. And so innately, every topic is based on a question that I get from a reader. And so I have this huge backlog of hundreds of questions now. And what's cool is it makes it such that they're always very real problems that people are having. And then, yeah, I, I kind of found that as your Twitter audience grows, you kind of unlock the superpower where you could just ask any question and you get all these incredible answers from people. And so I use it for two things. One is to fill out a concept that I'm thinking about to kind of make sure I'm not missing anything important. And then two, to test ideas. Yeah. Like what's interesting to people. Like I had one around uh, consumer subscription businesses and what metrics matter to people. I just like asked what people look at and it ended up getting like a thousand likes, which I did not expect. And so I basically prioritized that post and worked on that sooner than I expected. With all these assets you've built, it's fascinating for me to read in your 2020 summary posts what you think you're going to sort of, what you are going to test in 2021. And it sort of gives me insight into how you're thinking about leveraging what you've built, where you're adding value to the community, but also leveraging this great asset. And one of the ideas you put out there uh, was this deals thread specifically to subscribers. And immediately I think of the interviews I've done with Noah and how I grew AppSumo. And Drew recently launched in Trends, the same sort of deals concept. There's a lot of people sort of trying this. And so I'm curious, what angle are you taking? Is it going to be exclusive to B2B SaaS or different? And what advantage do you think you have over an AppSumo or a Drew at Trends, if any? So this, honestly, this again comes back to just how do I provide more value to readers? I want it to become such an obvious 15 bucks a month, of course. So if I could do like, if you save like hundreds of dollars a year from some deal that I can give you, that's amazing. So it's as simple as that. Someone on Twitter put it really well that I'm trying to create an, a Lenny Prime. 
<laughs> you pay 15 bucks a month and you get all these incredible resources, a Slack community, the deals thing. I'm working on a, a curated uh, guide and resources of just like the best reads on any topic. So you're not just filtering through millions of articles. It's like, what's the best read on SEO? What's the best read on getting into product? So I'm just trying to bundle more and more value. That's it. I love this. I can't wait to see how red you blush when someone posts on Twitter or the first Lenny Prime tattoo like these Rome <laughs> folks do. Uh, I hope not. I hope not. I'm working on a I'm working on a new logo actually. So don't tattoo, don't tattoo yet. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Lenny, this has been great. What um I guess last question here. What do you think you're you know, a lot of people that build this sort of audience? It's, it's very powerful and you have to be super careful with it because you can lose trust as fast as you gain it. What are some things that you've said no to? Because maybe you entertain them, but you just felt they were too close to the edge. In terms of content or in terms of projects? However, you, however you interpret it. It might have been a sponsor that really wanted to do you a sponsorship somehow or a project or anything. Got it. I've, I've gotten really good at saying no because I find that I get constant requests to do sponsorships, to do talks to write things, to guest post and all these things. So basically I'm trying to turn down everything I can because creating something of value is hard enough. And I'm trying really hard to keep this newsletter high quality and consistently valuable. So generally I'm trying to turn down like books and podcasts and like doing my own podcast, for example, I am going to work on a course. That's something that I've been saying no to for a long time, but I'm going to take a shot at that and uh, we'll see how that goes. But otherwise I'm just, yeah, I'm trying to say no to everything. So and can focus self, on this selfishly, why did you say yes to this podcast? What are you hoping to get out of it? Uh, it's like 15 minutes. I love the style. You just <laughs> go, boom, boom, you're done. And obviously, I'm a huge fan of what you're doing and, and you, so I'm excited well, to I, chat. Well, I appreciate that. And uh, I learned a ton from you. And speaking of 15 minutes, we are over. Uh, you, We got a lot of value from you. Where can people, Lenny, where can they find you online if they want to learn more? Just Lenny'sNewsletter.com. Guys, Lenny'sNewsletter.com. Again, went to Airbnb after he sold his... Uh, startup to the company, stayed there for seven years, went on a three-month sabbatical and said, you know what, this doesn't give me the same energy anymore. I'm going to save up 100000 bucks, give myself six months to just be in an empty space and explore. He started with the Medium post, seven things he learned. It did really well, 28,000 claps. Eventually was convinced in February 2020 to move over to Substack. He launched quickly and grew to following about 13,000 people before launching a paid option. Grew that to about 480, 480 subs at uh, $56,000 an AR. Lenny, soon 486,000 paying subscribers, right? Soon. Soon. How many? 400,000? Yeah, maybe <laughs> end of the year. <laughs> soon. But guys, he's scaling nicely. Really, I, I asked him, I hit him hard many times, and he came back to the same answer. It shows me it's a key part of how he's thinking. Does it add more value to the community? Am I helping with better discussion? And is it more curated? Lenny, thanks for taking us to the top. Thanks, man. I love that uh, life story. <laughs> that was great. <laughs>